0: Thank you for listening to Recyclables. I really appreciate it. If you want to support the program, the best way to do that is to like, subscribe, and share. Uh, The next best way is to make a donation either through the ACAST app or at our Patreon, which is just Patreon forward slash recyclables.com. Until next time, thank you. He's trying to show you... Kyle wants to be the new guest host. (laughs) I could do
1: so much better than Rochelle. Just saying.
0: (laughs) Kyle has a show planned called News Pump. Where we jerk off the news.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't like that. I don't like pub that. At all. The news pump and
0: dump. Yeah. Oh Yo pump dump. Oh man. You
1: guys are ridiculous.
0: <laughs> I'm totally unprepared for this. This is great. As long as we're recording, to, to clarify to the audience, because I don't believe in illusions, uh, there's been about a month in between our recordings because I caught COVID and like we Pat were gonna...
1: got the COVID's
0: and if we cover stuff again, oh, well. That was, that was just, You'll
1: be okay. Just, we'll all be okay.
0: Do you guys? So do you guys remember where we were in the story uh, uh, last time?
1: So I'm going to do my, my thought of a recap. Um, Gene Roddenberry, um, his dad was a cop at one point, yes. right? He grew up, went to college to learn how to be a cop. Correct. To be a went cop. to cop college. Right, went to cop college. you we went to college. You got <laughs> <remember> not dissimilar. <laughs> there to were, there college.
2: were. Um, sorry to interject. Uh, there, at the community college I went to, there was also a uh, cop training. Uh, there was a police academy there. No, oh. and they were the biggest
0: dickheads
2: on campus. They were just, they were loud and annoying, and they just they would take over like common spaces and just like push I was, people out of it. They,
0: they would grab the microphone and make machine gun noises, and it would just <laughs> scare. <everywhere.
1: laughs> um. At my college, we had like ROTC, so military people and like, you know, kids who were going straight into the military or had already signed up. I just hated when they were in a class that had anything to do with, like, international affairs. So I'm like, great, oh, no. what does the U.S. military <laughs> think about this? Because this well, everything we do overseas is right.
0: <laughs> Guys, I didn't go to college, but where I got my GED was at the college campus. And it was funny because there was, like, a dozen people who didn't graduate because they just smoked weed. In the, in the middle of the college campus and yeah. then went to class. And security was like, you can't do this. Because that, that was like 2004, so it was illegal. <laughs> and they were like, You're, we're not going to send you to jail, but you can't go away. <laughs> <laughs> I graduated in honors from my GED class. That's Hell my, yeah, you know, Pat. Hell yeah. Which kind of explains the theme of this podcast, Recyclables. You were right on track. Yeah, no, but, you're
1: fine. Um, so he was a cop, He and he was a speechwriter for the L.A. Police Department. That
0: was, yeah, and that was where kind of where we left off, was kind of dangling on that.
1: And um, and um, But he was also a pilot, and he's been in multiple pilot accidents.
0: At least three that we know of. The first one was uh, due to mechanical failure. Uh, as he was leaving the runway, there were some issues with the brakes, and they have like a checklist that they're supposed to follow. Like, if the brakes don't work, then you do this, and if that doesn't work, then you do the next thing. And so he followed the full procedure, but still the machinery just didn't work, and he crashed. Two people ended up dying, and he blamed himself for it. And and we know about the second crash because there are some records that line up with it, but we don't know when exactly, I guess, according to his biography. Okay. Um, and I'm using...
1: And this, is, this was the official biography, or what What is it called? The
0: Authorized Biography.
1: Authorized Biography. uh,
0: Called Star Trek uh, Creator. And the guy that wrote his book was biased because it's a weird situation where Roddenberry was right there for the book. And the guy was writing the book with Roddenberry. And then Roddenberry died before he got to the end. Like, he was there when Gene died. Did they have to, like, make up the rest like Game of Thrones? (laughs) Everybody was very (laughs) disappointed in the last season of Gene Roddenberry. (laughs) The last season of Gene
2: Roddenberry.
0: Before I forget, uh, let's introduce ourselves.
1: (laughs) Oh, hey, I'm Rochelle Cody.
0: (laughs) She got to it before I could make
2: it French. I am comedian Kyle adams uh, he's using
1: that term very liberally
2: i i am i hey, hey.
1: i'm teasing i tell jokes no it's, it's funny that the person who does the least amount of stand-up in the room is the one saying that to you <laughs> the one who does the most stand-up in the room oh,
0: yeah. i would probably do more stand-up but i just go to like literally the two open mics i like and then don't talk to anyone so that might be might be a booking problem <laughs> Uh, and I'm PTP. I'm. Uh, this is recyclables. It's uh, an uneducated educational an unschooled educational resource that's the the thing when you look it up Mm -hmm. Uh, unschooled educational resource i like that yeah it's 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 i thought so too i was high so
1: unschooled and then i'm the poorly schooled one
2: (laughs) god i i've dropped out of community college three separate times from three separate community colleges and third time was the charm um (laughs) that's beautiful i put that on my facebook and my grandma goes what why (laughs) So she just went all caps, like exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point,
0: question mark. In between God. each letter, yeah, yeah,
2: it, yeah, she was like clapping at me with with punctuation.
0: What did you stewed?
2: Oh, what I stewed. So I started off wanting to be a nurse. Actually, oh. I wanted to be a, I wanted to do something in the beginning. I was like, I want to do something that helps people. I don't want to do anything that uh, takes advantage of people. I don't want to go into business. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And then I realized how Stressed out, the nursing students were at my school. I was like, "This is a lot of schoolwork, and I'm already struggling just with what I have now." So I, I kind of backed out of that. And then I, I wanted to do film, so I took a bunch of film classes. But I, I'm terrible at math, so I just, I basically flunked out of college because my math skills are very poor. Okay. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, and one of the unfortunate things about a lot of like math education in the higher levels like that is a lot of times it's not taught by people who've. Been been taught how to teach. Yeah, It's taught by people who know the math and have to teach it to have a job or do things but it always aren't seemed, trained to educate It, it.
2: always seemed like the, I've only had one enthusiastic math teacher and I actually did really well in his class. It was geometry and I got A's and B's throughout it. The rest of my math courses, I was struggled for a C average basically and it always seemed like the math teachers were more miserable than I was to be there. It was yeah. like they, they don't, they, they like seem kind of defeated sometimes. And I don't want to, I don't want to disparage teachers like that, but math teachers sometimes always seem like because it must be Adams
1: hard hates math teachers
2: my dad is my dad was a math teacher too my dad i
1: see it now I'm it gonna, all that, makes that sense
2: no he that does well me. no he doesn't he did everything though because he taught special ed so he did math he did science oh, okay. he did uh, interpersonal
0: skills and stuff uh, i'm gonna give us back on focus so no uh, you're fine but yeah so uh, the the life story such as he, he was in
1: the military too he, he yeah, flew planes in the military right yeah
0: he was he, he was born in texas moved to california and mm-hmm. uh, la's early history so the last time we talked a little bit about how policing happened. Oh Cause, yeah, cause how they were dad, buying off the yeah. places. because his dad was a cop, like pretty much all his life, out of the army. His dad was very influential on Gene in general. He's he's this conservative guy who's like very racist and openly racist, but he's also like adopting kids off the street and hosting these regular kind of weekly kind of bring everyone around. If you need dinner, come on get dinner kind of things. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he's a beat cop in LA during the years of some of the worst corruption like worst corruption LAPD has ever seen. Worse than the 90s, even. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, they looked at the 90s and were like, all right, well, we, we're getting towards the 30s. Let's not get there again. <laughs> that was the earmark. And yeah. so that's when his dad was. But his dad also had a reputation for being one of the legit good cops. Mm-hmm. So he, he's got this weird thing growing up that, that he holds on to kind of for the rest of his life, where if you're true to your own moral compass, it kind of doesn't matter what you present as far mm-hmm. as he's concerned. So he's willing to, like, admit to little things that are wrong or or do things that are slightly against his code because he knows inside what he believes uh he also benefits from being put into an early kind of not head start but like an early version of honors when he's in school Mm -hmm. uh because they they
1: talented and gifted program. yeah
0: and basically what they do is kind of what a lot of teachers do now for the the, like the what we consider very progressive teaching which is they they let the kids guide their own education like they're like hey we need you to know about this benchmark but like whatever dude just we'll be here to answer questions make sure you do the homework kind of thing so it's it's much looser but also much more directed like there's much more uh, push behind you to do things as you're doing them so when he goes to college like you said he studies to be a detective the other thing that's really important when he's in college is it's pre-world war ii the the air force doesn't exist and the army's in charge of airplanes and they know what they want him to be a pilot or they know they want pilots in the next war so when you're in college you're given opportunities to fly airplanes and he actually excels at it because that, for whatever reason he's just really really good at it. Mm-hmm. And that's what he ends up doing in World War II. He gets stationed in the Pacific, sees 89 tours of duty, and in the course of that, yeah. has at least those two accidents. Yeah. And then, that's just a numbers game at that point.
2: It was going to happen yeah, <laughs> one way like, or another. It's kind of rad that he basically lived a non-sci-fi version of Star Trek himself. Like, because, like, you're saying, like, because Star Trek's all about the moral code and stuff like that, and and just dealing with these crazy mishaps and, like, you know, a ship going down or something like that. So that is really cool that, that like, he,
0: he actually lived out some of his adventures. Very early on, there's also a sense of, like, kind of what he thinks is right and wrong and is progressive. Mm-hmm. Like, he's an atheist from the age of 11. What a what...
1: show-off.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's a hipster atheist. Yeah. <laughs> he did I knew
1: God was dead before it was cool.
0: <laughs> there, I think I think there is some of that element to it, too. Yeah. He's got an accent where it's like he's trying to hide that he doesn't want a southern accent. Uh-huh. That was what I think was... Yeah, re- he's very deliberate when he talks. When I listen to that interview, I'm like, he talks... I wouldn't, I wouldn't go
2: so far to say robotic because he is emphatic, but it's like it's he's constrained a he, bit.
0: Yeah, He's a storyteller, and I think he's so used to st- telling stories, especially by that point, that I think it's that thing of you just kind of turn off your brain and you tell the story. Mm -hmm.
1: Do you think he's dissociating?
0: (laughs) We'll get into that. Uh, and then the last thing kind of we went over was uh, after the war he gets a job as a pilot he's he's actually doing two things at the same time he is writing and like submitting to sci-fi magazines and stuff mm-hmm. uh, and he's flying six weeks on six weeks off for Pan Am in the in the for, for, 40s 50s I have notes I can look at my notes
2: June 18th of did, did 19- you say he had, like, he had to do the emergency landing himself
0: uh, no the was? he was asleep during it because he was just oh, he was just yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, they did this thing where they would save money and put an extra crew member on flights mm-hmm. to save them the cost of a ticket and to also say, we've got three pilots on board, even though the other guy doesn't really have anything to do and just sleeps. And if the, the captain and the co-pilot are both down, then you at least have a backup thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, remember we talked about that because he slept up until like it was really serious yeah. and then he calmed down the People in that's there.
2: right so he was yeah he was essential to to just like fixing the situation though
0: yeah and then it ends up with um he I guess 14, <laughs> 14 people died in the or 14 people survived the flight and oh, damn. It, it's a lot of people died and it was uh, it was one of those things where um, it I think the first crash in the army impacted him the most because when he talks about the second one later, he says he managed to save two people and he's like, it didn't make up for the ones I lost though. So he's very, he's very influenced by kind of trying to fill a deficit of, of doing the right thing. And that was kind of where we were last time.
1: I'm just going to throw this out here. I'm already petrified of flying. So the idea of one plane crash, I'm never flying again. Yeah. This motherfucker crashed at least three times, and I'm assuming he still flew after that, right? Yeah, like,
0: he oh, yeah. still got on planes. Like, he he didn't... Yeah, like, I what would... the
1: fuck? I'm sorry. No.
0: Well, no... I, would, I Here's what I would think at that point. I'm fucking immortal. Like, <laughs> I have to find God in his physics three times and walked away with a few broken ribs. Oh fuck it. I'm, I'm unstoppable.
1: Hear me out. What if we are the timeline where Gene Roddenberry survived the first one, but technically, like, he survived somewhere, but this is the one where he died and he just made an offshoot one where all the mother crashes happened too. Does that make sense?
0: Are you saying there's no Star Trek? It yeah. would be it would be a vastly different world. We wouldn't have flip phones, we wouldn't have uh, Yeah, there's right. a lot
2: that was inspired by that. We wouldn't but have I like phasers. the idea that we're like a shadow <laughs> realm
1: because like in reality he did die that first crash, but we're the shadow realm created by what if he did survive? <laughs>
2: Okay, I'm going to roam with this. What if that was the same timeline where they went with a disco soundtrack for Star Wars instead of... Because that was an option, by the way. What? They, almost, they almost did Star Wars with a disco soundtrack. It would have made it not a timeless classic. It would have made it a spectacle of the time and then uh sci-fi just never caught on in the oh, way man. that it did.
0: I, yeah, I would not watch Star Wars with a disco soundtrack. Think I would. Oh, I
1: love da, it. Da, yeah. I'm so They crazy.
2: used it as easter eggs in some of the Star Star Wars games. Nice. There's one where you can like get to a certain screen where uh, Vader's like dancing like uh Saturday Night Fever. It's pretty funny. But yeah, no, that was that was an option at one point. They Sorry, were going to with I that. I got us very off track. No, yeah. you're fine. Are we still talking about (laughs) sci-fi? Yeah.
0: We're still yeah, we're still we're still right in it, yeah. So after the crash, Gene is like, you know what? Uh I don't want to be on airplanes you're kind of right like he's like I'm done at <laughs> least I'm, I I'm getting the message I'm just going to go be a writer and he's
2: okay. he
0: he moves back to Jersey with his wife but the issue is they have a kid in April 4th of 1948 he has his first daughter and he resigns from Pan Am to write with no experience and they they the issue is at the time New York and LA are kind of the two big entertainment centers much like today uh but New York is much more the old school and L.A. is much more like ooh what's going on with the future Mm -hmm. Uh, and since he has family in L.A. he moves back to L.A. Um, we mentioned it last time, but America's in the middle of the Red Scare in 1948, 1950. So he can't really find work. A lot of a lot of production companies are not shutting down productions, but like ramping down because they're losing money.
1: Well, and he's got some pretty lefty ideas. So
0: <laughs> he's a pinko.
1: It, <laughs> he wouldn't have been the type of writer they would want to
0: hire. It sounds like yeah. Well, he doesn't. His his writing at the time, the the stories he writes are very much strong guy doing the right thing is my understanding i haven't read any of them but... so
2: they could be perceived as kind of patriotic then yeah like yeah, and
0: he is military ex-military as well, and so. and the, the spoilers for a little bit ahead the shows he does get into are very much law and order style shows uh... like he, he gets to i'm i'm skipping ahead for a minute but he gets to know the guy who created perry mason so he's in the, in that genre is that
2: during like the that's during like the Hayes code so they can't um, so if if you commit it, so the Hays Code is if you commit a crime on screen, you either have to die by the end of the movie or you have to be in jail. They have to show consequences. For, it, it's kind of like what you're talking about, like the law. And yeah, all that it's the Hays
0: Code is just, has just been uh, in the mid '30s is when it's put into uh, yeah. production. So if even if it's not there, it's at least into the the it's an ingredient in the soup because everyone yeah. knows how to make it that way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where was it? Oh, speaking of racists, uh, he becomes a cop because of this. He, he's because he's
1: got to make he's got to pay the bills.
0: Yeah, he he ha, he has the end with his dad. Uh, he has all the education for it, and at the same time, he can do both. He can go be a beat cop for a few hours a day, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, go home and write at night. Uh, on February first of nineteen forty nine is when he signs up for the force. The, the, this this lets us get into the next phase of policing and LAPD in particular. Because at the same time that he gets hired, a lifelong family friend named William H. Parker is promoted to police chief. Uh, and it's super important because William H. Parker is the guy who kind of militarizes the LAPD. He gets put into the position because... Uh, like like I'd mentioned before, there's rampant corruption in the LAPD. It's super racist, that's cool, but it's also, they're usually kind of thugs for elected officials for well into the early 1900s, that's when that era of legitimacy comes about. Mm-hmm. So, when Parker is is in, like, g- working as a beat cop, working in the force, working as a sergeant, what he's seeing is all this corruption and shit around him. But he's a guy who's also served in World War II. He, he served in in the early, he served before Gene, uh, and like he was a cop. And then World War II happens, and he's like, well, I want to go kill Nazis instead of minority groups. Mm-hmm. So uh, goes over, storms Norbidy gets a Purple Heart, comes back, goes back to being a cop. So he's he's really dedicated to having a gun on his body at all times. He he doesn't approve of all the graft and corruption that goes on in LAPD in the 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. And he gets promoted specifically be- on an anti-corruption platform. So what he does is he makes it so it's easier to fire the cops that are corrupt gets as rid of as many of them as he can
1: he drains the swamp
0: (laughs) and he formalizes he changes kind of the structure (laughs) of policing so that it's um more militarized yeah and this is a thing uh more leftish people will bring up in terms of a phrase called the imperial boomerang or Foucault's boomerang which is basically whenever an empire does something somewhere else Mm. we're gonna bring that back here and do it to ourselves
2: oh yeah these kind of like um monkey see monkey do type deal yeah. yeah
0: monkey is a great choice of words actually because yes. because the thing william h parker is most famous for is when the watts riots happen in uh 1965 so about 20 years later mm-hmm. 20, 15 years later he was famous for saying uh the monkeys decided to start throwing rocks uh Jesus. and 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 it was a dog whistle but it was It was it was a dog whistle that was that we could all hear. It was a.
1: That's yeah. That's not a dog whistle. That's just a. That's just a slur.
0: So that's the kind of guy our William H Macy is, or William H Macy. (laughs) Macy.
2: Oh, the shoveler! The shoveler had a black wife,
0: dude. I don't know about that. Oh my God,
2: Patrick! You may have smoked too much weed. (laughs) William H Macy. Now
0: I want William H Macy to play this guy.
1: Oh my God! Oh my God! You know what, Corey? Mm. I really wanna start doing a new uh, way of investing. Have you have you heard of any new ones out there? No, I haven't, Rochelle. Do you have any ideas? Oh well I was I was flipping through the USA Today the other day, and there there was this one called Purecoin.
0: PureCoin.
2: What? Well, well tell me about it.
1: Well here's the thing. You buy your PuraCoin, right?
0: PureCoin. Right?
1: And then you get five more people to buy pure coin.
0: pure coin
1: And when they buy that pure coin, you get extra pure, pure, coin. Coin.
0: pure coin.
1: And then when they get their people to buy more pure coin, pure coin. you get more pure coin.
0: Pure, coin. Pure, coin. pure
1: coin And you know what's the best part?
0: What is the best part, Rochelle?
1: It is not a pyramid scheme.
0: All right, so uh, William William H. Parker. Was, William H.
1: Macy. Yes. Correction. <laughs> William H. 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 Macy, H. Macy. Forever and always. I
0: shovel. I shovel good. <laughs> he, uh <laughs> I have not that movie. I think is Mr. Bennet's great, and I think it's a great parallel for what doing comedy is like, or a great metaphor yeah. because they're open mic superheroes. Yeah, and they get to go into the big league at the end. That's so cool. Yeah, um, <laughs>
1: that's how the most recent Suicide Squad movie felt. It felt a lot more like that.
2: I
0: love Suicide Squad. That most recent one was yeah. Was, mm-hmm. yeah. The, I love the Suicide Squad. Yeah,
1: that's the James Gunn one. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Person I don't love William H. Parker. Uh, when he when he gets promoted to chief, he's been a lifelong friend of Gene's and his families. Like he would come to some of those Sunday dinners. Mm-hmm. So he tells Gene, I tell you what, if you do a X amount of time as a beat cop. I'll just kind of move you to the press pool, and you can help me write news releases and whatnot. Like, you can be out of the front lines, and also you can be away from all the Grafton bullshit. Like, you can have a kind of cushy office job, because I know you. Nepotism. Yes.
1: And you can just write propaganda for the that, That's the That's police. where we're going,
0: because William H. Parker is also known for something else. Uh, have you guys heard of a little show called Dragnet?
1: Yes. I've heard of it, but I know
0: nothing Uh, about it. I know about the movie, isn't
2: it, Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd? Yeah. I think, and it's like he are they Chicago cops if they I've are heard? LAPD
0: LAPD, LAPD that's right yeah because what happens is Parker wants to have a propaganda campaign because up until the 40s kind of the biggest uh, media representation of police are either the Keystone cops which are like a slapstick comedy troupe that are police that fuck up at all the things that they show up to mm-hmm. or they're that they're,
1: sounds nothing like real cops
0: yeah or, or <laughs> something else that doesn't sound anything like real cops they're they're usually corrupt criminals or or portrayed as kind of buffoons like like the criminals always get one up on them until till the haze Coats come along mm-hmm. but then they're kind of used as as, as a deus ex mach um, it, it, that just normalizes that police exist way more than it makes people tolerant of police mm-hmm. so Parker comes into the job and it's like alright I'm gonna get rid of the corruption I'm gonna militarize things I'm gonna create a strict hierarchy because and, and a hierarchy based on on metrics that we can measure on changes in the neighborhood is crime going down is arrest going down are you spending money properly because before this you could literally just pay your way through the police. Like I could be a police lieutenant if I had enough money, even though I'm missing three vertebrae. Yeah. Like that was just how it worked. Cause you would be like, cool. I want to be a Sergeant. Here's a few grand. All right, cool. I want the next promotion. Here's 10 grand. Cool. I want the next promotion. Here's 25 grand or whatever and that's just how policing worked until he comes along but he also wants to change the perception of that so he helps get case files to the writers and producers of dragnet and so they write episodes based on things the police have done that his press pool goes over and is like, um, that's right, that's wrong. You can't say that because it makes us look dumb. Mm-hmm. So anytime where the police fuck up a case, any time where like after the fact we find out maybe somebody didn't do the crime, that doesn't show up in Dragnet. But what does show up in Dragnet is crime was bad, we stopped the criminals, dun dun. <laughs> like they they had like a dun 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 before the dun dun. Mm-hmm.
1: I watched an innumerable amount of Law and Order and its various spin-offs. I hate how much copaganda I consume copaganda. without realizing it was copaganda. propaganda.
0: There's a very That's a great word. I had already seen a series. There's a great uh YouTube series about propaganda, about mm-hmm. also how different shows portray it. So like how Brooklyn Nine Nine yeah. has tried to make changes after the fact, how um other shows that you wouldn't really think of as being kinda copaganda shows, like Bones is copaganda. Oh mm-hmm. Bones
1: is one yeah. hundred percent propaganda.
0: Uh, and he, he does a great job, actually, of covering all this stuff on Dragnet in really good detail. So I recommend, I'll put that in the... Uh, doobly-doo. Yeah, in the thing. In the, so, the doobly-doo. <laughs> I'm Dragnet trying to make doodly-doo. a source wall. But, but Dragnet is the start of propaganda because they're like, you're going to portray us as competent. You're gonna portray us as incorruptible, and you're gonna portray us as the arbiters of right and wrong. So, Arbiter. yeah,
2: Arbiter. is that the is that the first major cop show? Yeah, it's is, it's, yeah. it's not necessarily the
0: first.
1: What about Andy Griffith? That's a cop show. Like he's it's,
0: he's it's, like, the, it's the first it's the first procedural like, cop show, and uh, it's okay. the kind of the first one that policing as as the the story as opposed to the setting. Yeah. Okay, so. Because Andy it's Griffith's about like, Andy Griffith, and he happens to be a sheriff. Okay, yeah.
1: so that'd be kind of like...
0: Yeah, Andy Griffith never had to shoot anybody, I don't think. That's one of the things that I've never understood about people who are against, like, the defund me concept and idea is that Andy Griffith never uses his gun. He's always trying to solve problems on a on a parasocial level. Like, he's mm-hmm. like, you need food, let's work on that. Like, mm-hmm. that's how he... he's, he's not like, I'm going to shoot you and put you in jail.
1: But also, he was the first <laughs> on-screen cop to normalize waterboarding so, so, he, water- so you he, water-boarded
2: you lose
0: he waterboarded opie yeah <laughs> no, no, no. well
2: i mean opie he just put be- his he just put his ears over him and poured water <laughs> sorry sorry ron howard or whoever that is. was That ron howard that was Ron howard, yeah. yeah, sorry ron howard <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> he not
0: reported it with his own ears. Oh, God. All right, so uh, <laughs> I mean that that's also one of the issues is we don't at the same time that all this is going on, the LAPD is is getting rid of the criminal tactics in the sense that they are literally gangs. But they're upping the criminal tactics in that interrogations are becoming much more severe. They're definitely – as opposed to like we're pushing around minorities, they're targeting minorities. Mm-hmm. One of one of H. Parker's more famous quotes is about how black people are just – black people and Hispanic people are just – Mexican people, I guess. Anyway, are just showing up in L.A. and asking for handouts because, you know, the government's been handing out this money and they don't want to work for it. They just want to show up and do stuff. Yeah. So that's his – take on how the police should handle these people i hate it yeah i also hate it but you know who loves it is gene roddenberry (laughs) god damn it here's the deal he he doesn't love it but his way of dealing with it is i'm gonna write the press releases i'm gonna help write uh parker's speeches at some point he gets some of his hands on uh the dragnet like he He's helping normalize it. And I think, in my opinion, part of what's going on is Parker is recognizing that he knows this younger, air quotes, hip kid... It he's lo- a
1: general Zier. He's, he's not a general Zier, but to us, he's like a Gen Z-er.
0: Yeah. He's as far as you can go being liberal and still being a cop. Roddenberry's as far left as you can go and still be, like, truth, justice in the American way. Because he, his whole thing is, um, I don't know how much communist theory he's actually read, but one of the big deals with communist theory, especially fucking Marx, is that it happens in stages. The revolution is always going to happen in the future. And, that's,
2: that's future me's
0: problem. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm... I'm, I am oversimplifying a ton yeah. of marks, obviously, but the, the point is Roddenberry is one of those people who's like, we're not going to solve the problems of humanity in our lifetime, mm-hmm. but we can keep pushing towards the solution. So I don't need to fix LAPD today because if I keep making it better we'll we'll Tomorrow. set it
2: up we'll set it up for yeah for progress in the future
0: it's it's uh, gradual progress versus a a full around turnaround yeah. yeah and the impression i get from parker is that he's much more like there's a famous quote i want to say it's by atwater about how if you say the N-word out loud, all they're going to hear is you saying the N-word. But if you say, hey, we need to get rid of welfare recipients, we need to get yeah. rid of yeah. the urban poor, then mm-hmm. you, you've, you've moved yourself enough from the rhetoric or from the awfulness yeah. that you can hide what you're saying. They find more clinical that's ways to say it. That's dog whistles. Yeah.
1: That, that's a better use of the phrase dog whistle.
0: That's super prevalent
2: in the 90s, too. with like the whole super predator shit. That oh, was going no. There. The,
1: there, there is always a new buzzword to... To yep, talk yeah. about minorities and demonize them.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, a th- thug, thug, is the one right now, right? or thug. or they're 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 doing a great job of being like antifa or yeah. or BLM people. Like yeah. that's that's their kind of code word well, for it. This BLM
1: way. is a hate group, okay.
0: Be Change my
1: mind. I'm Steven Crowder. I'm sitting at your college. Change my mind.
0: <laughs> I, I'm surprised nobody has punched him. That, that's, that's the thing that I think is, you'd think if you could punch Nazis, you could punch that guy. I And I'm not advocating punching that guy. I would like to clarify on the off chance that somebody's, like, going to try to sue us. I'm not saying somebody <laughs> should. I'm just saying I'm surprised it hasn't happened. It probably does have a has very punchable happened. Face.
1: It, it's just not on camera. It's not, it's not Richard Spencer, unfortunately.
0: Oh, man. Man, that was one of that those was, that's beautiful, beautiful things.
1: I so, mean, did it solve anything? No, but it sure felt good.
0: <laughs> uh, speaking of things that don't feel good, no, that's a horrible transition. Hey. Uh, in the 50s, uh, as I want to clarify something because I mentioned it in the last episode. There, there's a point about a third of the way through the book where every chapter mentions that Gene is telling somebody new that the marriage is on the rocks and failing. <laughs> like. So the, the beautiful thing for uh, Gene about being in the LAPD is it gives him lots of opportunities to cheat on his wife because he's a big, oh. tall, handsome, affable man who also has a cop uniform. <laughs> so I don't I don't think Gene was a I'm a cop and now we're gonna have sex no matter what kind of guy. But I don't think he was above being like, well, you know I'm a cop, so you'll be cool if you fuck me.
1: Oh boy! So oh, did hard. his wife know?
0: It's hard to tell. And there's also this thing in the biography. At least one time they try to equivocate her, like oh she flirted with people, but it's like runberry is is banging. Chicks regularly, and like all of his friends know about it, and it's a thing where from as early as the army days, some people don't even know he's married sometimes. Like they'll be like Yeah. Um the the thing that I do think is at least kind of admirable for him or or good of him, we mentioned it in the last episode. He he wrote out this thing called the the seven obligations of policing. And he helped start a police union. I don't think Police unions are good because they are uh, notoriously corrupt and they help the. They transfer people when they do crimes and yeah. stuff and put them on vacation. Oh, and, so yeah. it's like
1: the Catholic Church sho- shoveling priests. Hey, priest. hey, hey, find the, find the priests. Like Where's that?
0: he at? What, and what then I also he out in? They're not very effective yeah. because they're just rife with their own corruption. Because it turns out, like, you, you hire a bunch of corrupt guys and then you elect a bunch of corrupt guys to uh, represent you. They do corrupt things.
2: So there's no one, yeah, so there's no real internal affairs there.
0: They're, they're policing themselves, which is it's wrong, a Russian yeah.
1: doll of corruption.
0: But at the it. same time, I am for workers unionizing, so I'm in uh, a I'm in a, a weird there, well, guy. I mean, or a bit of a and I'm also the, uh,
1: unions represent the work that they're for, right? So of course, a cop union would be fucking toxic. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, but it, at the same time, Gene is I, I think interesting because as we've mentioned uh, in the last episode too, policing is all about trying to kind of legitimize its authority and there's a lot of things you can do to legitimize authority one is just do the thing you're supposed to do obviously they don't really do that like they don't really create community peace they just create community quiet Way more than anything else. But another thing you do is you just legitimize yourself through time. So every couple of decades and every couple of generations, that policing... It's like credit scores. They've only been around since 89, but we all just accept them now because it's been... I'm bad at math, 30-plus years. And so they're just... I don't want to talk about it. Policing and the time of Roddenberry is only a little bit older, maybe 50 years old at that time. Policing as we know it. Like I said, there's always been like... sheriffs or constables or shit like that but by the time he gets to it he has this idea of it not as like the goon squad and the thugs It's, it's informed obviously by his dad a little bit but he thinks of them as civil servants as your job is to go around and help keep the town clean and help if somebody's lost help them find their way and so his idea is much less of a paramilitary force and much more of like Custodians and Parker's idea is much more no, we're gonna walk these streets and keep them safe. And if we see somebody out of line, we're gonna fucking break their skull. <laughs> and so they have these tense, really uh, intense debates in Parker's office. Gene being like, This is unfair and wrong. And were Par- they the original good cop, bad cops? Maybe, yeah. yeah.
1: Sounds hot. <laughs>
0: And it is worth noting that because of this personal relationship, they're allowed to do that. Other people will come in and be like, uh, oh, Mr. Parker, sir, oh, I did this thing. And he'll be like, fuck you, you're fired. Like, just mm-hmm. just if you call him William H. Macy, he probably shoots you. I
1: <laughs> so have you guys both seen So I Married an Axe Murderer?
0: Yeah. Not in a very long time.
1: OK, so there's a cop in it. He's a detective. And Alan Arkin is his boss but his boss is like the nicest boss ever but the detective is annoyed by it so he pretends to be like the hard ass uh okay. captain yeah. and so like i'm thinking like oh, this sounds like ron berry and that guy
0: <laughs> like like back yeah it's their their relationship the the character that guy is playing is the relationship everyone else has. The way that guy is, is the relationship Roddenberry has that's
1: with That's so wild.
0: All of this, I think, I'm not going to say Roddenberry helped inform police policy. I think that's a stretch. But I think his impact, he taught Parker kind of how to package these great ideas. <laughs> great in air quotes. There, there's big uh, migration of the black and Hispanic population in their time. It goes from like 15,000 to like... 750,000 850,000 and a lot of that's because they've been sold the american dream for about as long as policing has been around and LA seems like the place where the american dream might happen for the black and hispanic in in america and then they show up there and william barker's like nope Uh, And he's able to make other white people digest it because Gene Roddenberry is writing out all these speeches. Mm -hmm. That's also when Gene starts his writing for Hollywood. He gets his first writing gig on uh, Dragnet. And basically what he'll do is he'll approve the scripts but also take them home and read them to learn how to write scripts and he'll Change his own writing to reflect what they do and that's why a lot of the a lot of his writing style ends up being kind of procedural If you'll notice like it's like he learns how to write for TV by reading how it's written So he also learns the background stuff It's like how when you want to do stand-up you watch whoever you like and you're like Oh, that's how I can hide a punchline or I can Mm -hmm. whatever um, you start to emulate your, the people you look up to. Yeah, yeah. and it's at this I point that I look up to no one. And, and it's at this point that I wanna, I wanna. <laughs> How's that working out for you? <laughs> I'm sad. <laughs> we discussed this slightly earlier, but I don't know exactly when Gene Roddenberry's relationship with cocaine began. I know that by the time he gets to Star Trek, he has what I will generously describe as a medicinal relationship. Yeah. Where he's like, oh, I gotta write this next script. <laughs> Alright, I'm gonna write the next script. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was back in the days when they're
2: like, I'm just gonna powder my nose, right? Like yeah. that was like they they thought of it as like a legitimate like stimulant. They're just like it was like coffee. Yeah.
0: But I don't know when it starts. It happens today in the army where you'll get kind of like legalized amphetamines in order to stay up all night and fly your plane or whatever. He's just doing he's just doing rails off of like a shaky a shaky steering column. No.
1: A- <laughs> so like they just had pills. Like, They would just prescribe the pills. And the huge difference between the Allied forces and, like, uh, Germany, our pilots got to sleep. Yeah, those German pilots, they just kept pumping them full of it. So is that why they're
0: so pulling. angry? <laughs> yeah, that was part of it. That's that's what we think and also part of why they could do it's not the secret to the Blitzkrieg, I guess but it's yeah. like part of the reason is you got a bunch of messed up dudes being like fuck, fuck, yeah! Okay, so we were saying I don't know when Gene started his cocaine use. It could have been in the armed forces. I would make a much stronger argument for the fact that at this point in his career he's Moonlighting, writing for TV shows, being a full time cop, and writing letters all the time, as well as cheating on his wife. So, nice. sometime between then and when he's on Star Trek, is when he starts using cocaine as a. He describes it the same way we would use Red Bull or coffee. Like, he's yeah. like, you just need to pick me up. I, I don't know at what point the relationship changes, but it also sounds like by the time Star Trek is around, that it's much more of a like, I. I'm relying on it and then I'm using it. Mm-hmm. So I'm... And that's not to be like drug use is bad. Drug use is complicated and, and confusing. So I don't want to... Like, like it can be messy. So I don't want to... We're keep,
1: on drugs right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, keep, I keep joking about Coke fiend Gene Roddenberry just because <laughs> I think it's funny how much of this is done. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just... It's so crazy to me.
2: Star Trek has like pretty slow pacing. Like I didn't get into it as a kid because like, and I'm, I'm I'm still like I, I respect it and I need to watch more of it, but I he's didn't afraid watch afraid it. of it. I no, it just I'm compared to other stuff, sci-fi stuff I would watch. It is very slow, yeah. in, in in comparison, not meaning it, but it has its own style, obviously. But it blows my mind that
0: he could have been a coke fiend
2: and it goes at that pace. <laughs> okay, you know yeah. what I mean?
0: It's kind of hilarious, actually. I and I think some of that is a the deliberate nature of TV and b the fact that he's kind of doing the thing where he's writing cop procedurals. Spoiler alerts for future episodes. He's basically trying to write cop procedurals in space in yeah. space,
1: in space. The part is
0: just the background it's yeah. just the, the dressing he sells his first script on um, March 2nd of 1954 like his first this is my script to a show called Mr. District Attorney which Ooh. is just it's, I don't know it's just such an endearing name
2: Harvey Birdman That's yeah. really <laughs> attorney
0: is law um, <laughs> and it's eventually- like the
1: opposite of Better Call Saul
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, it's at this point that you also get another hint of James kind of boisterous personality because he'll tell people that how he got his agent is he uh, figured out their driving patterns and pulled over the first agent that really that, that that struck him as special and was like you can get out of this ticket if i hire me i'm writer gene roddenberry Ooh. um but what really happened <laughs> what does his what
2: does his business card say writer
0: cop militant <laughs> <laughs> like, coke addicts uh... <laughs> what you doing baby <laughs> over this time uh while he's selling scripts though he passes his sergeant's exam so he gets a promotion at uh-huh. the police job so, so again, so it's you, a bigger gun, yeah. <laughs> bigger gun, bigger badge.
2: <laughs> what if that was how it worked? That would be so funny. <laughs> you see a dude with a huge badge, you're like, Fuck that guy, he's got a
0: bazooka.
1: <laughs> it's like it's just your whole um body armor, yeah.
0: It's it's just like the shield for uh, sentry or Captain America. <laughs> so, uh, in, in December. <laughs> That's the idea is just really silly that's to me. So
2: it's like the stars on your on your schmuck if you work at Cracker Barrel. <laughs> like the more you get, that's why it's like you see someone with like double digits. You're like, oh man, <laughs> wait, so and-
1: is that like their pieces of flair?
2: Yeah, dude. So I it, have a friend that, okay. who works
1: at Cracker Barrel, and we've never talked it, about stars. If you have an
2: apron at Cracker Barrel, so this is inside secret here, um, insider. Uh, Stars for every blowjob. They put gold stars. I was like, what happens if they hire a Jewish person? Like, that's really fucked up, first of all. But then I'm like, oh, a Jewish person would probably avoid cracker barrel. The place looks like a plantation. What
0: happens if they hire a lesbian who's never been with a man? Ooh, ooh
1: well then the stars she,
0: fit she gets an extra gold star oh, okay, automatically okay, yeah
1: okay.
2: yeah no but yeah they have yeah so like you'll you'll notice someone who's been there a long time will just have like a shit ton of stars it's crazy ah. i met a guy who had been there 18 years when i first got there My and friend, it's for
0: each year you've been there mm-hmm. that's embarrassing My yeah, friend yeah, no it's almost like it's almost
2: barrel. like a, look how long you've been selling old-timey candy and stuffed animals i think
1: i've been there for like 7 years now. Oh yeah. Um him Ask him and him how many his stars brother. he has on his schmuck? I have gone in three different cracker barrels and <laughs> at them but I have never bought something or eaten at the cracker barrel. They have
2: it's it's decent food it's just it's a really weird it's almost I just it, think
1: it's a really corrupt organization. Oh,
2: is yeah. it in a, is it a buffet or No. It's it's just like it's, it's like a diner. It's like, like Southern cooking, basically. Oh, okay. Like So everything's very high on fat and everything is very like... It's... It's interesting. It's it's, but it looks it looks like you're sitting in a plantation. They've got like farming equipment on the walls. There's fucking rocking chairs out front. It's funny. They they've been trying to like add more to it lately, and they put like I noticed they have like a saxophone and like a trumpet over by the fireplace now. And I'm like, now it just looks like you stole that from someone.
1: Like Are you, you talking about the one
2: in Tualatin? I, I, the one in Beaverton. Why? Why? Oh, okay. I went to the one in Beaverton. Or I something. never understand like the... my dad loves that place. He's upset, and it's not the theming. It's just the. Yeah, he yeah. I just food, don't yeah.
0: understand the like let's go back to antebellum settings as as a restaurant place. I just Yeah, know they that play like Tammy
2: Wynette and all this like screechy country like from the like like early, early like they play like White Lightning, like George Jones shit. Like So they they so Gene's dad would have felt right
0: at home. Oh he would love to, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay, sounds, yeah, it sounds
1: <laughs> like a place Gene's dad would live. Um,
0: yeah. So Gene's dad is also a cop while well, he's a cop, which I didn't think about. It Do they felt. work in the same they precinct? They didn't work in the same thing, but they – because Gene is in the press pool, so he's got an office job. He spends a few weeks on the streets as like basically a lot so of – So he's Will Ferrell and the other guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's also interesting because like a lot of policing at, at that time, some of it is stuff that we just have technology that does now. Like you wouldn't have street lights or, or, or stoplights because like some streets wouldn't be as busy. Do so they still you, have the, the white glove waivers? I, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Up until that point, so that's the
1: vloggers. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I just didn't think of that being the reason why they did that because they're just like, well, it's not going to be as busy you know, at midnight, because everybody's at home. Who who would be driving around at midnight? What kind of inconceivable... Just a madman yeah. with nothing to lose. The only people up at midnight are Gene Rodberry, high on cocaine, writing <laughs> writing for Mr. District Attorney or passing the sergeant's exam. He, he sells his first script, like I said, in March of 54. By December of 54, he has the first kind of... He he starts sort of the idea of Star Trek and sets it aside. Mm-hmm. And Parker is actually gonna eventually be the inspiration for Mister Spock because even though Parker's a real angry, volatile guy, he he approaches things very logically, logically yeah. and meticulously. And he he's that kind of cold, burning, angry guy where he's much less likely to, other than Gene, he's it seems like not very likely to blow up at you. He's much more likely to be like go kind of guy and so gene does follows in this pattern for about two years until he comes to 1956 which he calls the year of decision because <laughs> he's melodramatic
1: did you ever work with your dad at a job
0: i have never worked with my dad at a job
1: i worked with my mom at target and no. i'm just thinking like oh my god if my mom and i were both cops
0: oh my <sighs> <laughs> uh, the year decision is when he decides to quit policing on June 7th. There's this interesting thing where uh, – how we've talked about how Roddenberry will, as long as you're true to your moral code, be willing to do things you're against. He writes an anti-communist piece of propaganda called I Had Three Lives. That's about somebody kind of hiding their communist intentions and, and doing bullshit like this that. This is during
2: like the height of McCarthyism
0: too, right? Yeah, in like, 1956. The, yeah. So oh. it's of those things where it, I think it very much exemplifies his character where he he's got his moral compass sure but the world's the way it is I can't change it here's some money and that's another kind of driving force when he does quit policing uh in June 7th it's because he starts making more money at script writing like he's he's at this point where he's working all the time he'll, he'll go do police stuff have an affair at some point come home to the wife and kids be like shut up I gotta write <laughs>
1: <laughs> hear me now I'm gonna become a cop and I'm just gonna have all my poor pay. Paintings in the back. I'm like, listen, I could write you a ticket, or you can come look at these paintings and you can buy one.
0: (laughs) I'll take the ticket. Thank you very much.
2: (laughs) (laughs) How much? How much you charge versus the ticket?
1: Oh, I think most of my paintings are probably cheaper than a lot of the tickets I would be able to write.
2: (laughs) I'm just a terrible friend.
1: I'm just saying.
2: You're gonna like, blackmail. You're gonna blackmail people. See, that's that's the kind of corruption I could get down with, though. But not like that bad. legit,
1: how fucking wild! Like think like about that Etsy if you were people. a comic <laughs> and you would pull people over and just be like. Here's my card in LA like for whatever creative thing you're yeah. doing. Like how many professions can you hold someone hostage oh to God. like get your foot in the door?
0: There's a there's a key and Peel sketch. One of them gets pulled over and the other one is a cop, but he's mm. also a magician and he he oh like keeps doing sleight of hand tricks. And he's like, am I under arrest or not? Am oh yeah, I, I remember are that you. <laughs> <laughs> um, mm-hmm. so what a lot of what he's doing in uh, in that time period when he does quit policing is he He's writing spec script type things, or individual scripts, because once he, once you learn the formula, especially because there's not a lot of TV writers, like it's not a big pool, you can make a lot of money and a lot of early money. the The prices were a little bit different. He was non union too, so he wasn't. He was able to kind of negotiate his own thing mm. per. It was like him and the dude from Twilight Zone, right? Was that's what I like about the early Star
2: Trek. That's the one I really clicked with because it, it. I just like that era of television. It, it felt like
0: one off. Like ooh, so like like, what if this happened? Yeah. Type of thing. Like it's very hypothetical. Because so. it's, it's very influenced by the anthology sci-fi stories that yeah. are being written in pulp magazines and shit. The 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 Dune was originally released in sections in a magazine. Oh yeah. Desert
2: power. Desert power. Desert power.
0: Desert power. Desert power. Desert power. The spice must flow. Uh, 1958, he is a struggling writer. He's he's not making as much because he quit doing the police job. He's still (laughs) making decent money. But at this time, he ends up meeting his mentor, a man named Earl Stanley Gardner. And that gives us a chance to go into another detour for a minute. Earl Stanley Gardner is actually one of the most prolific writers in American history. There will be a point where he owns this big ranch in Southern California and he'll just ride around and dictate and he's got these drop-off boxes and he has six secretaries that write out his stories for him because he's he's dictographing or or dictating so many stories and he'll just... Perry does this because he's the inventor of
1: poor women.
0: Yeah. He's the inventor of Perry Mason. But the most interesting thing is that, like I said, he's super prolific. Around 58, they just start passing back and forth letters about advice to each other. And like, because Gene has some very progressive ideas, like I said, about what policing should be. And he sees it as a civil service. And Earl Stanley Gardner's. Focus has always been on both a focus on prosecution and defense that's about getting the right people in jail. And the right people aren't necessarily black people like it's actually who's guilty of the crime i'm mm-hmm. not saying he wasn't racist or anything i don't know enough about him yet to be like earl stanley gardner ally but i do know like his idea earl
2: stanley gardner sounds like he's he's the grand dragon of his area <laughs> it's I, pretty bad. I, I
0: looked up his wikipedia and if i remember right it mentions that his dad fought in the civil war but it doesn't say it which where? side no. and ah. that's usually a good so- indication of which side he fought oh, on no. it, it's like when a guy says he's apolitical you know exactly Exactly what his politics are. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Gardner, though, uh, helps him get in good with Ziv Productions, where he gets a regular gig and he starts writing for a show called West Point, uh, which is kind of military copaganda. he, He figures out this formula real early on. If you set a story up familiarly, then the setting changes it. So if you do a story about, you know, camaraderie and brotherhood and you set it at West Point Academy, that's more important than we're setting a story at West Point Academy. So the distinction is is the focus on story over setting. Is, it's not necessarily novel, but it's one of Gene's greater strengths as he writes. Mm-hmm. And I think it's why he's able to write for West Point and why he's able to get through Dragnet and whatnot. It's also during this point when he's working more and more with TV shows that uh, the cheating escalates again. And he's telling a lot of his friends at this point in the biography that they are just staying together for the kids. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think this is really in, in the biography as it goes along. It speaks. It starts to speak kind of negatively of her. I think it's worth noting, though. She's her job is to be Jean's wife. The fact that she's not enough for that, to me, it's like kind of a messed up situation where he's like, "I want you to stay home, take care of the kids, housekeep, and like I'm gonna go fuck around." And I don't understand why you don't love me. Like I don't understand why. So love- he's gaslighting her. Yeah. Into, like, into being I'm, basically. I'm, I'm not a fan of his relationship with her. Yeah. Uh, but they are telling. People that they're staying together for the kids. And the other thing is, they are having a very, um, beatific life, as it were. Like, like they're always the way his dad taught him to take care of the community and what it feeds into older genes. So he's very much about, like, we got to make sure the kids are happy and, and, and Mm -hmm. I'm doing things to kind of drive them. And his conflict avoidance shows up in this time, I think, too, because he'll just not talk about shit with his wife, is the impression I get. Like, he'll kind of be at home and be like, well, I'm going to work and I'll be gone overnight. Don't worry about it. Like, I, I don't mm-hmm. know. He is, he is a shrewd businessman. Uh, I think I think learning how to get in shouting matches with the chief of police and not be capped gets you used to k- talking to studio execs. So he manages to negotiate really good deals for himself. Like um, he does one with Screen Gem that ends up being worth uh, approximately uh, in our di- day about a hundred thousand dollars for just like some script work. And he's always looking for ways to make money. Like if he's writing for one company. Like, he's asking about other shows that they're doing, or he's very affable and very, like, he takes up space, but it doesn't seem like he takes up a lot of space. Yeah. He Um,
1: seems very well-meaning and kind.
0: Yeah. Yeah. While he's writing for all these things, he's stockpiling ideas. So he'll write for a show where a ship is named the Yorkshire, and or Yorkshire, one of those two. But it ends up being the initial name that he uses for the Enterprise before it gets changed. Oh, so it's called the Yorkshire before? Yeah. And so, and there, a lot of the characters...
2: doesn't have the, the ring to it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, and a lot of the characters that he comes up with will kind of be filed away, like a communications officer mm-hmm. or, or uh, Captain Pike is a name he uses a couple of times. Yeah. Um, and you can start to see his personal belief come out in the stories a little bit more. He, he's uh, described most often as a humanist. So he kind of believes in, like I said, the idea that humanity is working its way forward. I think he could be more radical and be like, we could change it forward now. But that's not important to the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, an important story point is that in the 1960s, he starts what I will loosely call a friendship. With uh Magil Barrett, who will eventually become his wife, yeah, that is about (laughs) right because it's hard to tell because Gina's a storyteller and also like she's an actress, their stories are you know subject to whatever audience they're in front of. Mm Uh, but they describe it as they started off mostly as friends and then eventually it became more intimate. But from the 60s, she's a regular feature in his life. I think the relationship was also very toxic because later on there'll be things where like they'll be at events together. He'll be with his wife. She'll have another date and he'll do something like he'll send huge uh, flower displays to the table for the other woman while he's hanging out with his wife. And it's for him to like be marking his territory and be like, well, she's my woman. You can hang out with her for now, but like somebody else is with her. And there's even a story of she goes on a date with, um, I, I don't remember the exact actor, but she goes on a date with somebody who's actually a closeted homosexual. So closeted that he'll, he'll do this thing where he'll go on dates with actresses and be like, look at me, be a playboy. So, yeah. And, and Madgel's one of his friends, but he keeps getting sent uh, flowers while she's there two dudes house to be like no that's my girl like at the same time that Gina's is cheating on them both so it's 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 a uh, cool it's 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 fun it's dope it's excellent five stars no notes yeah <laughs> at this point there's a show called defiance county that he is working on Ooh. and it creates a rift with his mentor gardener and what actually seems to happen is lawyers do lawyer shit and it confuses the relationship i'm i'm oversimplifying it but gardner's like uh i want this filed this way and i'm gonna let my lawyer know and the lawyer's like well i don't understand how script writing works so i've decided gene is stealing credit for you and so he contacts gene's lawyer who contacts gene so when gene goes to call gardner gardner's like you can't talk to me right now you have to talk to my lawyer i'm uh, Gardner is also a lawyer. Like, that's how he gets so much insight into Perry Mason. And so he, he just knows how you're supposed to do things, and it causes a rift for a while between he and Gene.
2: They're kind of like the original, like John Grisham, because John Grisham was like a lawyer beforehand, and he wrote a lot of like oh, okay. procedural stuff. So that's interesting. I, I like I like it when it's a lot of people that are like actually in the profession, so they've got that expertise there. Yeah, which I didn't I never realized that about Dragnet and a few of those other things. That's pretty cool. Yeah,
0: uh, another thing, another thing he does to get money is he models for uh, a money M O N Y ad campaign as being like a big Hollywood exec. So there's a bunch of there's a bunch of model shots of him like <laughs> is that is he's drinking a Guinness Gene Roddenberry no, has no, the a... Guinness one is After Star Trek uh-huh. but the 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 one right below it yeah oh
2: <laughs> Gene Roddenberry has a deep dark secret
0: <laughs> that's what it says yeah. with the Guinness one. <laughs>
2: he fucks other women and does coke all the time
0: boy does he Uh,
1: (laughs) he looks more handsome in the guinness one
0: it's a little Mm. bit later
1: he looks like a chonkier rick moranis
0: (laughs) okay yeah no that's that's like a
1: filled out rick Moranis. if you
0: go if you You go to the last like he looks so fucking coked up they're like it's like a candid shot of him at his desk He looks sweaty in that one. Yeah. (laughs) He looks like
2: sweaty. He looks like like he's
0: sweating in a 60 degree room. (laughs) That's the thing.
1: Well, this one, he just looks like. Yeah, Uh, yeah, that's that's
0: the one one I'm talking about. The two things I remember about Coke was I didn't like it, and it gave me a weird tummy ache, and he looks like he has that tummy ache.
1: My tummy doesn't (laughs) feel too good. All right.
0: So we're (laughs) we're getting near the end of our adventure for now, because in 1964, on uh, March 11th, he is ready to pitch Star Trek. He's got kind of everything written out. So what happens is he goes and he pitches this idea. He, he's worked on it. He's had friends. He's shown it to people for several years. So he, you know, he quits. Um, he, he sells his first script in sixty in fifty four. By sixty four, he spent about a decade on this kind of project it's his is his, his, his assume, yeah and it's taken elements of he's written for these military shows and these like naval shows and these procedural shows so it's taken elements of that but he also grew up loving and writing sci-fi like he would just sit on the porch for hours at a time uninterrupted uh, according to like his parents and brothers when he was a kid so he's got he, he just messes these two but the problem is he wants the, the thing you mentioned before he doesn't want to focus on the action mm-hmm. he wants to focus on the fact that these are the slow parts. A little bit, yeah. He wants to focus on, on the human relationship. <laughs> I want boom-booms. I want, I want boom-booms and explosions. Is, <laughs> and, and it's in direct response to the fact that boom-booms and explosions yeah. are also lower cost. It is, it's yeah. a way to hide the fact that you're not spending any money on script. Mm-hmm. And so what he wants is a high production value show that focuses on the cast and crew way more than like pew-pew! Yeah. Whereas what's going on at the time is shows that only spend their money on pew pew and don't worry about like the substance to it yeah yeah which which is very apparent
2: and like going back and watching that as an adult uh my preconceived notion of it as a kid because i just couldn't wrap my brain i, I was add as fuck yeah so i was like i i want booms. <laughs> yeah i need. Mean-
0: I didn't. Short
1: shots. I <laughs> need a lot of action. Better be more boobies than this happening right now.
0: I rem- I had the same problem. I didn't watch the original series till I was like twenty, and I'm a. I could be called a trekkie pretty easily. Like i never. Yeah. But like it, it's just fucking slow. Now I can watch it because I'm like, oh, if I smoke a bowl and walk away, it's fine. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> his his kind of eventually, what he figures out how to pitch it is gun smoke in space. Yeah. So yeah. it's much more about kind of rugged frontier lawsmen mm-hmm. than it is about. Pew pew, Captain Proton. Uh, and then we'll we'll end this episode by talking about the people he ends up pitching it to, Desi, Lucille Ball, and uh, Desi and Lucille. Ball. I remember hearing about that that she funded a lot of it. Yeah. Right? So what happens is they get bonkers rich. they get an insane amount of?
2: Rich well, they were like the the most successful sitcom of all time at the time, right? Because they
0: invented reruns. <sighs> that's why also like they, they were strong negotiators Lucille always played hardball and also she didn't have the distractions because like basically part of the way through production they actually divorce L- Lucy and Desi and Desi it sounds like he makes less wise choices like he, he gets drunk and womanizes and that's what he was doing before and Lucy so he's got
2: a lot to do yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> whereas Lucy do- Lucille doubles down on the business aspects so she takes more control over the production company and shit Mm -hmm. what happens is they figure out reruns before that they would just kind of make the shows and throw them away and she's like no sell the shows sell the recordings for people to play again Mm -hmm. because tv it's just it's that crazy thing in history where it's like if you're the first person to do it you get all the credit uh and she becomes the first woman uh tv president in uh november of 1962 she's had the company about two years Before he comes to them Mm -hmm. and she's kind of the one that approves it. They end up shooting a pilot and it ends up being too cerebral. It ends up being just a little more nerdy than they want. And so they do something that's also pretty rare because what happens, it becomes a model later on in the 80s. But in the (laughs) 60s, as they're creating television, you basically – your first pilot is to make a movie. And if the movie doesn't work, then you can't sell the rest of the TV series. And so at various stages, you get paid to – maybe you write a script and you get paid. And then you start production and you get paid and then you actually act and you get paid. But at any of those stages, the project can be stopped. Mm -hmm. Roddenberry's had a lot of experience with projects maybe going to pilot but not getting picked up, or he's just a writer on somebody else's show. Mm -hmm. He's doing it all other than directing. We'll get into it more when I do a full Star Trek episode, Mm -hmm. but he is... He does the ins and outs right now. Yeah, yeah, he's doing a lot of stuff, and the first episode just pans. Just people are like, it's cool, but it's boring. So he gets rid of almost the whole crew other than spock that character stays uh and it's controversial because initially he's gonna be like a red martian uh, yeah and eventually it, it, as time goes on just because they need to save money and whatnot it becomes the character that we know leonard nimoy is way more influential actually on kind of Vulcanism and spock than rod mary was but- so
2: he's a he's a great collaborator then so he really works with his team
0: in a good way Ish. Yes and no, I Ish. imagine. For now, let's say yes, okay. but no. He's one of those dudes where it's like it's his project, so he won't share it. But at the same time, he'll have his fingers. Imagine a person who's been a cop and will yell at the police chief and is often high on cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> and then try working with that guy. Oh, that sounds like fun. It
1: sounds like he wants it to be his idea, as and my assumption. And he's
0: always the, – the thing that I find really – telling to me of the fact that he probably does have a coke problem is the fact that he is always trying to figure out a new way to make a little bit more money.
1: Yeah, you gotta find that habit.
0: Yeah. One of the most notorious uh, stories of it is the Star Trek theme song has lyrics. Yeah. Because somebody wrote it and he wrote a few extra words onto it and turned it in. So he got co-creator as writer of the Star Trek theme song. even though they So he, never... gets, he gets some of the royalties too yeah. then, yeah. And there's a bunch of other little stories like that where, where...
1: Sneaky bastard. Yeah.
0: But at the same time, he's still Gene Roddenberry. He still believes in the things he's telling people. And so it's like if he knows that he's good in his heart and soul, it doesn't matter if he rips off the company and accidentally rips off a writer because he knows he's good in his heart and soul. It's a, it's a, it's a tricky. You
1: know what? That logic is solid.
0: Yeah. And, uh, He's a good uh, rationalizer. One of the things was he uh, hired Magil Barrett, his mistress, to play a primary character, the chief, like the chief executive officer under the captain, who was only named number one in the script. She didn't even get. <laughs> She's a name. my number
2: one girl. <laughs> yeah.
0: And uh, <laughs> they're, they're like a woman on the bridge crew is unbelievable. He's like okay. I'll take her off. Part of the reason is also they know he's banging Majel Barrett and he's married and that she's yeah. on the set because he's trying to bang everything in sight. At some point, he even has an affair with Nichelle Nichols, the lady who plays Ohura. Oh. And she says that she calls it off because she's like, look, I don't mind being the other woman. Like she's kind of pro polyamory there. But Major is so in love with him. That she's like, I can't be the other woman to the other woman. Yeah. Can- <laughs> and we have, Because they have to work together. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so, uh, anyway. The, the she's f-
2: pretty
1: hot. I no, was just Googling her. And so- then this is a horror right, next to her? God, they're see. both gorgeous.
0: Oh. And it was crazy about Hi the there. shot. There's a picture of them standing next to each other. It's, it's that crazy thing of, like name anyway i'm easily distracted uh the the pilot gets doesn't succeed they don't pick up the pilot but they do give him a chance to reshoot it uh and so they pick a little bit more actiony of a script they make things a little blood pumpier. And they recast kirk from what i, I yeah remember yeah they recast Who kirk? Was
1: kirk originally
0: um uh, you have the google you'll have to look it up The original name of the character was Christopher Pike, and Mm -hmm. uh, there's a fun series of videos you can catch or or, or audiobook called uh, Star Trek Memories by William Shatner, where he talks about... Shatner is apparently the one that came up with, we've got to... Do it because he was just trying to emphasize yeah. and be dramatic. Because he's a stage actor. And oh yeah,
2: yeah, I got that kind of like Shakespearean vibe from him. Oh uh, yeah.
0: So look at now-
1: that fucking smoke show, Jeffrey Hunter. Jeffrey yeah. Hunter. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Holy Jeff- shit. Okay, well,
0: so <laughs> so here's why Jeffrey Hunter doesn't work on the series. So because he's
1: too hot.
0: They put the pilot on uh, for people and. Nobody likes it. In particular, Jeffrey Hunter's wife, who's like, You can't do this if you want to be in movies. Nobody is going to watch this show. Your career is going to tank.
1: Oh my God. So
0: Jeffrey Hunter leaves. That's where Kirk comes in. Kirk sets up the thing. But that pilot does get picked up and it leads to four seasons of television. And there's a bunch of crazy behind the scenes shit. But like that, the Star Trek story is much well told. I didn't think the story of Gene. Beforehand was well told. And I don't tell this to make people want to hate Gene Roddenberry. The more I read about Gene Roddenberry, the more I was like, holy fucking shit, this is awesome. Uh Right. But I think it's important. Um, One of the things I want people to recycle, which is the theme of the show, is how we look at heroes. And how we think of them as infallible. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people will hear this shit and think it tarnishes Star Trek. And I think, no, it makes it interesting. Because it's this deeply flawed dude who's, who believes in the future. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't believe that he can make the future be now. And I, uh, my personal opinion is that we don't need heroes that we blindly worship. We need heroes that we learn from. Yeah. And I think we can learn a lot from Gene Roddenberry and from his failings. Like, like the part where he's like, as long as I know what's good, I don't need to stand up for it. I, I think that's an important lesson to realize the negative impacts it has. You can end up deciding LAPD police policy in a very roundabout way that leads to the Watts riots. Because uh, that happens after Roddenberry has left the police force. Mm-hmm. But you have spent 10 years using the information and rhetoric that you learned from this young hippie who was telling you how to do dragnet, which became copaganda, which influences, you know, law and order and all these things that we do now where we have this bias skewed perspective of police. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, yeah, that's just that's that's recyclable. So what do you guys think uh,
1: <laughs> was- Jeffrey Hunter died in 1969. So who knows if his wife would have been right or not?
0: Oh damn! He died shortly after. He died after pretty that. young. Did
2: like, he die on a movie set? Nobody was supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> it sucked, dude, she fucked him over.
1: He was well. No, I think he had ended up being in movies. Um, yeah. It sounds like that, and <laughs> but uh, he uh, he was supposed to be in Band of Brothers. Huh. Uh, but then he died in 1969. Damn. I mean, sexy year. I mean, to nice. Die in, right? Nice. Yeah. No, Roddenberry sounds fascinating. I. I think you and I talk about this a lot, how, like, we as each generation are dealing with the collective trauma of the generation before. And it would be really interesting to see how his polyamory or this this weird type of poly shit he's doing would be if it was more removed from the toxic structures of, like, hetero marriage. I think think he would have been less shitty if he knew he could be. But I also don't, like, that doesn't necessarily change the fact that he was cheating on people and being real shitty and
0: passive-aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. I think he learns that need to always make money from his dad as well. Because, I don't know if you remember, but when he was a kid, his dad's like, you're not allowed to have fun you're you're either going to have a job or you're doing chores. And I think that's a reflection of where his dad grew up post civil war Georgia. We just did the history of how the south kind of won the civil war and part of it is cuz of there's huge economic devastation and they're blaming the lazy whites, the lazy poor whites and the lazy newly freed black people mm-hmm. for a lot of the problems as opposed to the higher up systemic issues.
1: People just don't want to work anymore, Pat.
0: Yeah. And, and <laughs> that message has been around since the dawn of time. Counterpoint,
1: you know? I don't want to work.
2: <laughs> I, I don't think we should. I don't know. I always prioritize my time over money. I don't want to work either.
0: <laughs> I don't like it. But how much of that is because you, you seem to have the kind of dad who would teach you the lessons. I struggled with this in, in a number of relationships where I'm like, we have enough money and stuff. I don't want a promotion. I would like more time. That's mm-hmm. all I want. But a promotion is not going to lead to that. But- My dad was
2: affected by that because his, his dad was more of a go get them money type guy. And he would like – he worked for a, uh, a corporation – and he would he was he was basically um have you seen up in the air okay so George Clooney is a remote firing guy oh
1: yeah so they, it, bring, him in to they, they bring him into fire they bring him
2: into firefield that was li- literally my grandpa oh. and my grandpa owned a, owned a plane with like four other businessmen that he had owned like a timeshare with. They just fly he would around and fly fire into people. the town and he was like the x-man it's crazy oh, man. so my my grandpa was like always gone and the only time my dad really got to spend any one-on-one time with him is if he went on one of these business trips so my dad would like when he was like 12 13 would Stuff himself into this little Buddy Holly plane, you know, like, and, uh, and would try and talk with his dad, even though he'd have to like yell over the plane engine. Oh, that's crazy! Um, so my dad was like, "No, fuck that! I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and spend as much time as I can with, you know, with my son. I want to have a good relationship." So I think. And I imagine
0: if you have a kid or take a protege or whatever, that you're going to have a much healthier relationship with them because you've seen that modeled and you know, you know, the flaws to the model and you can improve them. And it's kind of, I experienced that with my own kid where it's like, my dad was like, very selfish yeah, Mm -hmm. versus like, I'm mad at myself because I made my kid feel guilty about a thing. And I know I did. Like, that's the kind of,
1: you know, being a parent's never easy. That's why I'm not going to be one.
0: Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> I'm lazy. I don't want to be. A... <laughs> but I, we do discuss it a lot in the podcast, and we it's, do. it's definitely reflected in Gene's story quite a bit.
1: He seems to be someone who's very willing to go out and get what he wants, and it doesn't sound like he's sketchy most of the time. But it definitely it sounds like, like yeah, there
2: Roddenberry was some gets what he there. wants. Yeah, that's yeah, what it sounds Rodden- like. Roddenberry.
0: Uh,
1: Whatever Roddenberry, Roddenberry wants.
0: wants, Roddenberry gets. <laughs> I initially started off doing this little bit of research, being like, "Oh, this will be fun." It turns out I'm picturing some some light coke use, and oh, he cheated on his wife and he fell in love. And then I keep getting into it, and it's like, "Oh no, we don't know how many women he slept with," and like, <laughs>
1: or "How many children he probably has?" I,
0: I don't think that came up, at least not. I mean, okay. at least not by the time of this biography, <laughs> and like. I've, I've also, I've been listening to, I highly recommend it to people listening to our show, the You're Wrong About podcast. And one of the things that they talked about is, like, a lot of affairs are, like, maybe oral or making out or just being way too intimate and in somebody's space, like, in a feel. And, like, you still count that as a, air quotes, conquest Ew. for a lot of these guys. Ew, so like it, I don't it, like that. It, it doesn't necessarily mean he's banging everybody in town, but it's that weird thing of, like, how consenting is their consent and comfort? Yeah. Right.
1: Well, on that dour note, <laughs> should we say the fronti- say the final to
2: frontier? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kyle, do you have anything coming up? January. Um, I'm going to be at the Infinity Room on January 27th. Uh, I'm doing funny jazz talk. Is this is an awesome show that Ross Pasic books. Also, a very funny comic, and then is there
1: jazz in it?
2: There is jazz. It's a, it's a multimedia show. Yeah. Oh, that
1: sounds scary. That well, sounds jazz fun. scares me? What well, jazz scare you? Because
2: because you don't know what notes coming up next. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm scared. You, do you
0: get to perform and they play while you do?
2: I think there's like an accompaniment on the way up or something. I don't oh. know. I mean, I might be able to. I might be able to do that if I want to. I think. But um, I'm doing that, and then I am opening, or not, or not opening. I'm uh, featuring for Monica Nevy and Eugene on uh, February twenty fourth. I believe, which I'm excited for that. She's really funny.
1: She is really yeah, funny. She's
2: hilarious. Yeah, and then I'll be um, I'll be doing some uh, some feature work in Seattle pretty soon. So that'll be cool. I just haven't nailed down any dates oh, yet. But oh, I got yeah, that. I got passed as a feature at uh, Club Comedy, in which so. is a good thing. I learned. Yes. Yeah. I've been
0: doing comedy for almost 12 years, and I today I learned past is a good <laughs> term. And you have Kyle Adams comedy. You yep, yeah, Kyle
2: Adams comedy on Instagram and YouTube.
1: And then I am planning on starting my own Patreon very soon. I'm even making little gifty gifties.
2: Gifty
1: gifties. Gifty gifties for folks who sign, like the first uh, probably 10 or so people who sign up <laughs> for my Patreon. Uh, and I believe my payment structures are going to be like it, love it, got to have it. Ooh. And then the top tier is for the love of God, don't ever get a day job. <laughs> oh yeah and at whore for poor on instagram for my artwork
0: <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know so that's what i've got coming up what about you
0: um i have february 9th the polyamory showcase at uh, oh, side yeah. bar and grill Dahlia's is gonna be there regular listeners know mm. dahlia Eastside
1: uh, Barn Grill, and I am going to be giving Patrick a painting oh yeah, for we're the gonna, show.
0: Yeah, so if you show up, you you have a chance to win a beautiful... I have a yeah.
1: polyamory themed Polyamory show. For you.
0: That's rad. Uh,
1: and it's on my birthday. Ooh. Thanks. Oh, you're welcome.
0: Yeah, no, Dolly Thanks. is going to do it. Hyjinx is going to do it. Uh uh kayla marie and chris cox whose show i just did he has a fun podcast oh, everything and nothing that that shady yeah. too? Nice. and then uh you can follow me at comedian ptp on the twitters or uh you can always support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash recyclables all right thanks guys
1: bye guys we love you live bye. long and
0: prosper <laughs> thank you for picking up recyclables today Donations to the ACAST streaming service are, of course, always welcomed, but the best way to support the show is by going to patreon.com forward slash recyclables and becoming a patron today. If you can't do that, another great way is by liking, subscribing, sharing, rating, and reviewing the podcast on whatever podcast listening service you use. All right. thanks.